everyone. It's Roland, and I wanted to let you know that our new book, Eat Well, Move Well, Live Well, 52 Ways to Feel Better in a Week, is now available to pre-order. You are going to get the book probably before anybody else, free shipping in the United States and in most international countries, the ebook of the first four chapters. In addition, you are going to get access to our course absolutely free um, to people who order during this pre-order promotional period. Ooh, say that three times fast. Anyhow, you can find all the information you need to pre-order the book at eatwellmovewell.com slash eatmovelive for all the information that you need to pre-order the book today. Move Well Podcast, Season 2, Episode 6, Kelly Coffee, talking about self-sabotage, self-criticism, addiction, compulsion, shame, obesity, thoughtful introspection, self-obsession, extremism, raising healthy kids. Hi everyone, we're so, so excited. We have a fantastic guest today. We have Kelly Coffee of strongcoffee.com. We met Kelly at the Fitness Summit in Kansas City and we just, you guys, we fell in love with her and her incredible story. Um, I think there was a stating ovation at the end of her presentation. I think I saw Roland and I were standing across the room and we're both kind of crying and like wiping tears. I was like, I see you crying. She's incredible. She's an inner world investigator. She's realistic. She's open. She's brutally honest about our deepest, darkest places that keep us from being the awesome, loving, caring people that we could be towards ourselves. She spent the last 10 years healing herself and reaching out to other women who want to go from self-abuse, self-sabotage, self-criticism, addiction, compulsion, rage, shame, oh, self-obsession, extremism, questionable fashion choices, brilliance, honesty, and vulgarity, to being grounded in loving self-care and healthy habits. Through that, Caring choices of food and exercise, women connect with their bodies, their souls, find their inner voice, and start being able to talk back to the voices of self-sabotage and shame. I just could not be more excited to have another powerful female as our guest. And um, Kelly, you're on. Tell us a bit about you. Oh, my God. God, can you introduce me in every room that I ever walk into for the rest of my life? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm free with travel. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, man. We'll send you the so, MP3 of that, and you can just like put it on. I'll, it I'll just have it in a little like tape recorder in my back pocket, and every time I walk into the coffee shop, I'll be like, Kelly Coffee is the inner world investigator who bad things, bad things, bad things, transform to good things, good things, good things. Or you could make it your alarm. Oh my God, that would be so affirming. Or when your good phone idea. rings. When your phone you're, rings. You're a genius. You're both geniuses. So yeah, hi, I'm Kelly Coffee, uh, strongcoffee.com, coffee spelled C-O-F-F-E-Y. Uh, I am a personal trainer and an online fitness coach of sorts, I suppose you would say. Um, I started my journey uh, many, many years ago. I mean, if, if I were to start at the beginning, 
I was raised by people who did not have a healthy relationship to any substance or behavior. And, uh, and that, that came through for me in, you know, I was, I was morbidly obese by the time I was, uh, in grade school and addicted to everything that one can be addicted to in this world by the time I was in high school. And by the time I was 18, I was over 300 pounds and depressed and, uh, just incapable of, of stringing together a day of joy because of how I was treating my body. And, uh, through a series of sort of very drastic decisions and lots of soul searching and lots of revision and experimentation, uh, today I am in my mid thirties. I am the happiest person I know. I'm living a life that I never imagined I could possibly be living. I have a body that's fit and healthy and a mind that is for the most part joyful. And I am the luckiest person I know because I get to spend every day working with women who relate to my past, helping them to turn it around like I did. And you do it fabulously. Well, thanks. <laughs> I mean, you are one of the most joy-filled people that I've had a chance to talk to. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that that I noticed when we met was that you were like big and smiling and like you were just like always trying to, I mean, you just always, you kind of saw like the, the positive side of all the, of all the things in the room. So it was a good, it was good. Thank you, can, you. you can tell you're happy it shows. You know what's funny though? I'm also incredibly dark <laughs> and skeptical and cynical. Like I, 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 I feel like I kind of, inhabit both ends of the spectrum i'm i'm a i'm a there's a lot of me that's real black and white and all or nothing and and i try you know healthy happens in the middle somewhere but i'm very capable of being on either end of the well, you can still be you can know everything's out there and still be very positive about the things that you can control that's absolutely true and it's and it also gives such a depth of personality to hold both ends of the spectrum and be able to have a consistent presence in life with those two, mm -hmm. which is such an art, which is such an art. And you're doing, you do it amazingly. Plus, people like the dark hero. Yeah. Of so much more interesting than the, than the all light, all the time hero. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that guy doesn't write any poetry, I'm going to tell you that. Amen. <laughs> So we're going to shoot a bunch of questions at you because there's so much we want to cover, but we also want to keep our listeners sane and organized because we could talk for hours. I really am curious. You had an article that just went crazy viral on the internet. How was it to publish that? How was it to go into this, this time of life, internet fame overnight how did kelly deal with that and how did it change your work in a positive way holy moly and could you well, tell us real quick what the what the article what the, the gist of the article sure well the piece was called five things i miss about weighing over 300 pounds and i wrote it for a personal training client of mine as an exercise in proving to her that there were things that there are things to be grateful for in a larger body, uh, which she argued against. And I, and she basically dared me to prove her wrong. So I wrote this essay and I published it on my own blog, 
which was very small at the time, and it did incredibly well for something on my blog. So I pitched it to an online magazine called Mind Body Green, and they took it, and it was published at 5 a.m. on a Friday, and by 5 p.m. that same day, I had, you know, I went from 300 fans on Facebook to 3,000 fans on Facebook. <laughs> I was getting, like, I have a computer and I had my smartphone, and both of them were just going ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding, all day long. I thought I'd contracted some sort of virus that was just making bells go off. I had no idea what was happening because it was certainly not my hope. I mean, you don't. I had never published anything to a, a wide audience before. The idea of going viral was never even in my scope of imagination. I just wanted people to read it because I wanted people to appreciate their bodies as they are. And, and you can tell somebody seven ways to Sunday, you know, look in the mirror and tell you you love you. But that's bullshit compared to, like, giving them concrete examples of what there is to love more complicated and with more depth than oh I have pretty eyes you know I mean so so I you know I named things like being naturally powerful and inhabiting you know a, a large space in a room that was that was sort of you know reflective of my large personality and how since I lost my weight I felt like my the size of my body and the size of my personality didn't mesh and and, and these were real things that I guess had not been said much before or at all ever. And so it just spread like wildfire and I was getting all these messages and emails. I got a lot of hate mail from fitness professionals telling me that I should have my license revoked, my certification revoked, and that I should be ashamed of myself for encouraging obesity which was not the point of the essay, but a lot of them I think only read the title and didn't really get what the hell I was serving up. But much, much more than that, I got these heartbreaking uh, letters of gratitude from mm -hmm. mainly women, but men and women all over the planet saying, I've never really heard someone talk about these blessings that I get to enjoy that I wasn't even conscious of until I read your essay. And thank you so much. And then a lot of them went further to say, I can only imagine taking advice from a fitness professional like you, because I know that you understand how it feels to be in this body that I have. Yeah. And I want your help. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I didn't expect that. You know, like, I was just trying to write some shit that my friends would think was cool. You know, But then I realized there was this huge population of people who connected so deeply with my message, who might not ever otherwise seek out the help of a fitness professional. And I, and I was at a, I was at this major crossroads. Well, like, what do I do now? I can't turn these people away in good conscience. And I don't have enough hours to give. You know, I have two little kids. I had a full-time personal training business. And this little blog thing was just something I was doing on the side. So I sat down and I began to create an online course that has since become this amazing, miraculous thing that basically teaches people how to follow through on their healthy intentions, despite 
being the kind of people that do anything but. Um, so I, I, I teach people who suffer from chronic self-sabotage how to follow through with their healthy intentions one day at a time and turn it into an actual life that they can enjoy and find pleasure in. And, and hence the pleasure principles. That, that's the name. It's not a sex thing, I promise. Yes, it's called the yeah. pleasure principle. No, we're, <laughs> we're interested anyway. Um, well, speaking of the, the pleasure principles, um, how did you come up with them? Like, is this like, did you have some sort of an epiphany or a like, long trek in the desert and like some, suddenly like this light shone down, the pleasure principles? And, well, uh, it, it started. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to create anything that wasn't uh, exactly what people wanted. So I was responding to these emails from these people um, with, "Well, what is? It, what exactly is it that you think that you can learn from me that you couldn't learn from somebody else?" And the most consistent answer was, "I I need to understand how I can actually love myself." Mm. Or, you know, something thereabouts. Like, a lot of people said, oh, I want to know what the perfect workout is. A lot of people said, well, I want you to tell me what to eat. But more often than not, the message was, I know I'm supposed to love myself. Everybody says it. No one tells me how. What the hell does that mean? And how exactly do I do that? And I was like, I, can, I actually think I can help you with that. I actually think I can tell you exactly how that happens. And how that happens became the first of four principles that are the body of my class. And once I had the first principle written, the second one all but, you know, I, I knew what the second one needed to be. It's a roadmap to good health, and it starts with, it starts with creating a loving inner foundation. Uh, because until we have some sense of love for ourselves, why the hell would we go to the lengths that we need to go to to make substantive change? We won't. We can't. It's not, it's, it's not sustainable. We don't take good care of people that we hate. We just don't do it. So, so that's where I started based on what people told me they wanted to learn from me. And then uh, the rest of the four principles just unfolded from there. And, you know, I, I, I released the class the first time and extensively interviewed everyone that took it and found out what they found helpful and what they didn't, what they remembered and retained and what they didn't. And I completely rewrote the whole thing. And I ended up doing that four times after that because I'm a perfectionist <laughs> and I'm obsessive. And now, you know, it it is what I always wanted it to be. And it is the thing that people told me that they needed. Yay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, congratulations on that. Getting through your content with just rewriting it and redoing it until you get it where it meets where you are and what they need. Yeah. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's... The creation of that thing has been very much what the creation of my life today is. I mean, getting healthy when you start as low down on the scale as I did, um, you know, with it, with addiction to food and to drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, sex, gambling, everything. Well, everything really but gambling. I never had enough money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But like everything that I could afford to be addicted to, I was. You know, when you start that far down, getting to a healthier place requires, uh, you know, grit and determination. It also requires an open mind and the willingness to revise over and over mm -hmm. and over and over again and to learn what you don't know because you don't know until you know you know so so you go back in you realize that you can't do certain kinds of exercise because it just doesn't jive with your body or your lifestyle or you learn that you can and can't eat certain things and so i am just i'm one giant revision you know over and over again i rewrite what my goals are based on what my capabilities are and the same thing happened with my course, you know, and every draft of me and every draft of what I teach is an improvement on the previous draft. And I hope that I never, ever, ever feel like I'm done because for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm really living life by allowing myself to see where I could make improvements and then doing just that. Yeah. Fabulous. Ah. Oh. It's just so gratifying to even hear you speak about that. It's incredible. So you, you are constantly growing and your work is constantly growing. You're revising and you're revising your work. And with that, your students grow as well. And mm -hmm. it's just sort of this live project that keeps going. Ah, oh, so exciting. So, so exciting. I know you talk a lot about you know, we talk about self-love and self-care, finding a way to love yourself so you can take care of yourself. But then the kind of the ugly head of the beast, right? The voice of the beast and that voice in our heads that gets us to self-sabotage. And how oftentimes we talk about self-sabotage and yet I feel like we don't talk about it enough. So it's not really clear what's happening. So mm -hmm. in, in coffee terms, what mm -hmm. is self-sabotage? And why does it even happen and what does it look like on the outside how does it disguise and sort of you know come into our lives through the back door and and take everything that we we want for ourselves mm. i think of self-sabotage as any thought or behavior that is gonna put you in an early grave or keep you miserable until you until you you know, expire. And I think of, you know, self-actualization, self-love, healthy behavior as anything that's going to contribute to li you living as long as possible in as healthy a body as possible so that you can enjoy your life and the people around you and the things that you love. And, and it's a, it's a very clear distinction in my mind. Where is this choice going to take me toward that misery or that early grave or toward you know, vibrance and capability and just a, a long and healthy life. Um, and in my experience, the thing that contributes most to self-sabotaging self behavior, the thing that, that drives us to self-destruct and do things that are harmful uh, despite our best intentions, the thing that fuels that behavior, those kinds of choices, is a sense of shame that we uh, acquired long before we were old enough to say no or know that it was happening. Mm. Just this idea that we are fundamentally broken, that there is something wrong with us, that everybody else has it all figured out and we're a mess 
you know, this, these are these are messages that most of us who yeah. suffer from chronic self-sabotage got when we were kids. Yeah, yeah, sort of like you're on the outside looking in, and like, and, and everyone else has it figured out, and there's something just fraud and flawed and broken and unworthy inside of you. Exactly. And that feeling of unworthiness is, you know, that's a, that's a thought that can precede uh, uh, a self-harming choice. You know, well, I'm not worth the effort. Well, I'm not worth the time. Well, I'm not worth the money. Well, I'm not worth the energy expenditure. Well, I'm not worth inconveniencing other people. Well, I'm not worth having that conversation with my boss. You know, there are so mm, many things mm. that we can decide we're not worthy of. And and in doing so, keep ourselves from doing the things that we need to do to feel cared for and to make sure that our bodies are healthy and our minds are calm and peaceful. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and this starts really, really early um, in, in some of my own studies in, in trauma therapy. You know, we learned that this happens kind of like before you're a year and a half old. So mm-hmm. really, really, really young little human thing. And and so as we revise this as adults, as we grow these new, it's almost like you have to grow this new self. It's almost like you have to parent a new self into existence. Mm-hmm. And if no one speaks that, then you don't even know what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the the suggestions that I make to people, uh, because I don't I, I I don't actually believe that once we have been given shame, that it can be uh, that it can be cured. I don't think that that part of our brain can be removed. Mm -hmm. So what I do with my students is I teach them how to recognize those ideas and use them as fuel for caring actions. Use them sort of like a Pavlov's bell that gets them to remember what they're doing, why they need to do it, and that, uh, that that shame voice is really just a call to action to make a loving choice because mm. it's by reframing that voice that I don't think any of us who really suffers from shame can ever totally drop. It's by reframing that voice as a call to action to like step up and make healthier mm. choices mm-hmm. that we can completely do a 180 degree turn from self-destruction to, to self-actualization and, and good health. For, for our listeners, can you take me through a little thing? Say that I am, it, it's like 11 o'clock at night and I'm eating my fifth peach for the night. Um, it's just, it, it's just, it's... Yep. Yeah, this is her. This is her binge. Oh, I ate all the cherries. Or I right, right, right. Too many peaches. So, I ate too many bags of and it, and it, broccoli. And it doesn't matter if it's too many peaches or too many Oreos. It's like I am not hungry right now, right? And so I'm doing this behavior that is not helpful in any way. And that's my signal that something's off. Mm-hmm. And and I've been able to sort of gently kind of see what's my need right now that's how I do it and so whether it's to rest or whether it's to cuddle or whether it's to acknowledge that I've had a really shitty day at work um, whatever it is that I'm not acknowledging in this moment I sort of need to develop that skill to acknowledge and to be present for myself but how, how would Kelly do it 
so the the process that I encourage people to go through in that moment when you realize that you've gone off the deep end, whether it's with deep fried Oreos or peaches, you're so sweet, sweetheart, that it's peaches, um, <laughs> is you you recognize that you're in a moment of of self-destruction. You you recognize that it's pretty funny to imagine self-destruction by peach. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> You're in, you're in you're in uh you're in a hot spot where you are harming yourself mm-hmm. or it feels to you as though what you're doing is harmful. Um in that moment taking just one breath and asking yourself in that breath what exactly am I feeling right now in this moment in my body what is my physical reality Mm -hmm. right now Mm -hmm. and you know in your in the scenario that you've painted probably you feel bloated and you probably feel kind of tired and you know and and what that does is it takes your mind off of the oh my god i can't believe i ate 500 peaches you know (laughs) because you know you you can't think you can't be obsessed yeah. about beating yourself up about the fact that you've made these mistakes just now and be truly focused on your physical experience in the moment. You just can't There's do no both way. at the same yeah. time. Yeah. So you got to it's 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 a it's a has kind of a micro meditation like okay, so what exactly is going on and I want you to get intimately connected with the physical experience of what's happening in your body in that moment. And then the next step is to respond in a in a mindful way to whatever it is that you're feeling with as much care as you are capable of in that moment so if you're bloated and exhausted the most caring response that you can muster in that moment might be okay i'm not gonna stuff anything else into this already overfull stomach and i'm gonna brush my teeth I'm not going to look at any screens and I'm going to get my ass in bed. I'm going to put my head on the pillow and close my eyes. And, and, you know, so taking control of Mm. your actions in that moment and then the following day, and this is sort of part of what is different, I think about what I teach than what other people teach the following day, the self-sabotaging mind wants to check in with the husband about, can you believe how much I freaking ate last night? I am so disgusted with myself. I am so disgusting. I need to go on a diet. This is disgusting. That is what the self-sabotaging mind wants to talk about the following day. Right, right. It wants to like saturate itself in disgust and like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit. And instead, what we need to practice doing is focusing on the caring choice that we made in that moment and using that as conversation starter fuel. Like when we reflect on what happened the night before, we say instead to the husband, you know what I did last night? I realized that I didn't feel so good. And so I just kind of shut the whole thing down and I brushed my teeth and I went to bed and I'm so glad that I did that. Mm. You know, I'm so happy that I just, I just stopped and took care of myself. And that doesn't feel natural for a self-sabotaging mind. No, that feels yeah. insincere because you just want to beat yourself up. 
And it's just like that old Native American fable. Like there are two wolves. There's yeah. the good wolf and the bad wolf. And you've got a choice. Which one are you going to feed? Yeah. If you're if you're rehashing your sins, you're just fueling the sins. But if you're rehashing the empowering choice that you made mm. in the moment, then that is what you're strengthening. And so that is a critical part of what I teach is firstly, not giving voice to that self-sabotaging beast that wants to, you know, just expound upon all of the mistakes that you've made. So silencing that part of ourselves and then practicing becoming the kind of people who say, and then I made this really great choice and I'm really proud of myself yeah. for having made it. Yeah. Huh. That's awesome. That's incredibly, incredibly helpful. And I find that from these two, the two parts that you have as a solution, the being present, the being mindful, that's something that Roland and I teach is a big part of, of our program. That's the easy part. Because you can interrupt the behavior, you can be mindful. It's the habit of how you talk to yourself the day after. And all the relationships you have around the way you talk to yourself with friends who also use you as a sounding board for their shitty talk. Yep. And that is the hard thing is that you have a whole structure built in your life that you have created around the way that you talk to yourself and the, the, the shame, blame, disgust, not good enough, whatever it is. We have all these other relationships that are built on that, which also yep. means that for a while our our brains kind of don't get to have the same sort of quote unquote support, whether the support is positive or negative doesn't matter, but we've created this brain structure and we relate to people in that way. So there's like this lonely, empty, kind of vacuous period where you now have to create these new relationships. Yeah. That's the hard part I find for most of us where it's like, oh, what do I do now? Well, now that I'm free. That is a huge problem. <laughs> so, so, and and it's funny because the, at the end of the first run of my course, people were like, "Great, you just taught me exactly how to eliminate self sabotage from my life. Who the hell am I supposed to talk about it with? Who am I supposed to reflect positively with? Because every single person in my life, we just get together and we bitch, we bitch and we complain and we, we roll out all of the mistakes that we make and we just obsess about it. And then we freaking eat nachos and drink beer and pass out in my living room. So how am I supposed to put this into play? And I was like, wow, you know what? That's a really, really good question. So the night before the first run of my class ended, at the request of half the students in the class, I created this ongoing support community that just happens in a Facebook group. Um, it's called the Coffee Clatch, haha. And it is the sole purpose of this space is to give people who do not naturally positively reflect on anything a context in which to practice doing that. But the thing that's different about the clatch is that we all acknowledge that this does not come naturally to us and that every single time we say something positive about ourselves, we feel like we're bragging, we feel self-conscious, and it feels kind of dumb. And we also acknowledge that we have to practice doing that despite the fact that it feels kind of dumb because those are the neurological pathways that we were never mm -hmm. given a chance to develop. Mm -hmm. Positive, reflective, mm -hmm. self-talk 
talk is mm -hmm. something that we were never, ever, ever given a chance to develop. And so, you know, I, I personally could not be a member of a group where everyone was just floating around, throwing glitter at each other's faces, <laughs> like, I'm so fabulous, I'm so wonderful, this is all easy, oh my God, look at me, I'm beautiful, you know, like, I couldn't handle that. I would be throwing up constantly. But the women <laughs> who come to me, they're tough cookies who have lived real lives, who don't have time for bullshit. I'm sorry if I'm cursing too much on your on your. That's podcast. okay. We'll just put we'll a thing. Bleep the entire just show. Bleep me out. Just bleep me out. The whole show's um, gonna be beep. They're all real. They're all tough, and they all recognize that this is an important skill to practice developing. And we come together and we can do it together in a space that's safe and that understands that it doesn't come to us naturally. And it's incredibly, incredibly helpful. Um, so that's another part of the, the, the puzzle. It's another yeah. important part of the yeah. puzzle. It's a huge, it's a huge part as, as social creatures in our smaller and larger communities. That is the big thing, our connection to everyone. And I'm, I'm so incredibly, I'm just thrilled that you get it and you get the whole picture. Well, you know, from my perspective, with me coming, I was pretty fat as well. And like when you, part of it, like everyone sees you because you're big, but you also don't kind of don't want to be seen. You're either the kind of person that really wants to be, puts himself out there and you're like the gregarious, super, you know, you're the, that guy that everyone, the life of the party guy, or you're like sitting in the corner kind of, don't look at me, don't look at me. I'm going to wear the baggiest clothes possible, you know, so that even when you are losing weight or have lost the weight, like I still have trouble with the, the, the part about telling myself that I'm doing, you know, the positive things about myself. So, um, in, in all parts of life, but I always feel like that guy on Saturday Night Live, um, dog, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough <laughs> and doggone it. People like me, you know, I was every time. So every time I'm in a program, like, or like doing something where there's like this sort of self-affirmation, like I get really, I always think of that kind of thing and it's really hard for me until I get in the rhythm. So I have to sort of push through it and sort of force myself to do it for a while before yeah. I, before I realize that, that it's true, that I am partially awesome. It might well, be. In that aspect, I'm, awesome in, that as, in this aspect, I'm rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's helpful for me is that uh, if it's hard to say the positive stuff, then just work on not giving voice to the negative stuff. Like, you don't have yeah. to be a Ph.D. level self-affirmer. You don't have to be like, you know, googly eyeing yourself in the mirror to make positive progress. You just need to stop fueling the fire um, that we fuel when we say the bad stuff. So that's a really significant first step to take if you don't have a context where you feel safe practicing the positive stuff. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. I think that's more doable as well. And I, I find men and women, for how similar we are, we're also very different. Uh, and there's even more self-judgment from the guys about doing self-affirmation. Yeah, guys don't want to... I'm not going to sit there. And it's like hard enough to get them to, to meditate or to, <laughs> you know, to journal or to do anything like that. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of guys out there that journal, but I think it's totally, it's totally different. And not to generalize, I guess, but... 
you know, I think that like we do groups where they're more mixed, men and women together. And the women sort of like, they get really excited about some aspects of our lessons and the guys get really excited about some other aspects of the lessons. And there's a little bit of crossover, but it is, I think, less natural, I guess, for men to, to do those things. Sure. That's why God gave you women, so we can affirm you. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> so, so back to our, our lots of questions for, for Kelly. How do you teach your students to have faith in themselves? To believe that the body is inherently good and that you can heal and you can grow and you can get better and you can relate to yourself and that you are, in fact, awesome and whole and self-healing and and there's so much goodness in this world um i'm not sure that i directly give them uh sort of directions on how to have faith in themselves what i do is uh work on giving them opportunities to practice realizing that there are better choices yet to be made, like giving them, giving them permission to be in that constant revision of what it is their goals are and what it is they're trying to do, because we're always, we're, more is always revealed. The, the, you know, that whole onion peeling metaphor where you just keep going layer by layer mm-hmm, by layer mm-hmm. into deeper and deeper levels of truth and understanding about ourselves and what we need to be happy and what we need to feel actualized and whole. Like what that looked like for me, what I thought that was going to look like for me 10 years ago and what it actually looks like for me today I mean, they're on completely different planets. And I went through so many revisions between then and now. And what I've developed is faith that when I see uh, change that needs to be made, I know that I'll be able to make it. And I know that I'll waste less and less time uh, not, not revising like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll waste less and less time holding on to old ideas because I think they should be true. And this yeah. is how I think I should be eating. And this is how I think I should be living my life, you know? Yeah. So, so people develop faith in themselves, the more they work on developing, uh, being okay with constantly revising what their goals are and what they're doing, uh, in service to their health and their happiness. So you first act and then faith in yourself later. Yeah. Through the actions. I love it. I love yeah. it. Roland, do you want to ask the next one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like what are the what are some of the most common traps that women fall into when they're take, trying to take care of themselves? The stumbling mm-hmm. or like, you know, what takes them out of the of their momentum? Uh the A number one problem for most of the women that I work with is the scale is getting on the scale stupid uh, scale the stupid 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 scale I hate it here's the thing is in in my experience and uh, when I say my experience I mean the experience of you know a thousand plus women that I've worked with 
When the focus is on the number on the scale, then the driving force is shame. Because when we're focused on the number on the scale, we're focused on making it smaller more often than not, which is, you know, implying there's so much wrong with me as I am, and I'm going to be better if this number is smaller. And if weight is the focus, shame is the driving force. And if shame is the driving force, loving, caring choices cannot be made consistently mm. because we do not care for someone that we resent. And so the, the number one, one of my only like hard recommendations, and of course not nothing works for everyone. And I do create a tiny little loophole that like the 2% of people who are not sabotaged by the scale can sort of skirt through. But for 98% of the people who work with me, I say, take all of the scales in your house and bring them to the, and when you go to the doctor, turn around so that you can't see the number and say to the nurse, I don't want to know what I weigh because the challenge and, and the necessity is to make the choices that we're making about taking good care of ourselves, not about getting that number to be smaller. Mm. And so long as we know what that number is and are anticipating how it might've changed in the last day or week or month, we cannot, we cannot focus on the care that we're taking and the positive results of that care. So it's all about choosing where we focus our attention, choosing which wolf we're feeding yeah. so that yeah. we can keep it going. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Oh, man, we owned a zero scale for a while. Have you seen those things? No, they're a different. They're a different kind of evil. You, you weigh yourself, but you don't know the number. Uh-huh. And then all you see is up or down. Oh, so it shows you, <laughs> so it shows you like plus three, minus two, and I think Roland's daughter got on it, and she's in her twenties now, and she was like, "Dad, I'm minus a hundred pounds. I don't understand." Because she had stepped on it after me. Like, are we? Oh we have the cheat, the cheat model that just has like the two <laughs> setting, the two people setting, and like no one knows what to do. And Gosh, we just gave finally gave it away. You know, I, I. My my thing with weight could be a whole other conversation. It's weird we found it on the train track. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting because I've as a as somebody who's a classical dancer, you know, so much of where you got to dance was based on what you looked. And so for for me, the scale has always been this sort of like good guy bad guy, where it's like it gives you some privilege as well. So breaking that relationship that was built so early in life when I was five or six years old has just been incredibly, it's been a lifetime struggle for me. And um, it's getting better every year. It's getting better. It's yeah. awesome. Every year that you stay away from it, the it's better just, you feel. It's just getting better. It's just getting oh better. Goodness. And I feel like part of it is also age, like just how many more years of my life am I willing to serve that? And how many more years of my, my life am I willing to be here as me and do life as me? Because nobody else can do life as me while I'm trying to be someone else. It's just such bullshit Amen. that we fall for. All right. One last or two last very quick questions. And one could be a podcast in itself. So you must promise <laughs> me that we'll do another one just on that. Okay. How do you raise your girls knowing what you know? 
God. Well, uh, I, <laughs> it's so, it's so exhausting. Oh my God. It's so exhausting. I often am just like, man, I wish I was just some, you know, 1970s, don't know what impact I'm having on my kids kind of a parent. <laughs> and I wish I could just be sucking back Budweiser's and telling them to get my cigarettes. You know, life would be so much simpler. Uh, I raise my girls. Um, you know, it's hard because I, I want them to feel, I want them to feel empowered to make their own decisions. I want them to feel uh, like they're being recognized for all of the different facets of who they are and their personalities. You know, I, you know, I, I'm sort of that typical lefty, you know, Massachusetts living mom who's like, don't tell my girls they're pretty. There's so many other things than pretty. They're smart, they're funny, they're gonna be great engineers, you know. And then at the same time, I have to like, I have, when I'm honest with myself, I have to realize that they really love being told that they're beautiful. And, and I have to realize that there's nothing wrong with that. And I have to kind of back off and, and let what brings them joy bring them joy and trust that they're hearing all of my, you know, hardcore feminist messaging in the background. Like, yes, and you're also incredibly intelligent. And oh my God, look at how strong you are. And oh, that, you know, your comedic timing is just on fleek. You know, like <laughs> I have to trust that they're hearing all of the stuff that mm. I'm saying, saying in the background. And the challenge for me is to respect what brings them joy and what makes them smile. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it comes out in the laundry, right? We're not going to know who they are, really, until they're like 30. So I got 25 years of hoping I'm doing a good job. You know, I, I, I do the obvious things. They, have, they, they don't think that weight is interesting or important yet. They're three and five. Let's see what happens in five years. You know, I don't, I don't deny them any specific foods, but I also don't ever bring, bring trashy foods into the house. I talk about food in, you know, this is going to contribute to you living a long and healthy life. This is going to put you in an early grave. What do you want? Well, mommy, I still want the chocolate. All right, fine. You know, like whatever. But I just have to trust that they're, they're hearing everything that I'm talking about. And I just going to keep talking and hope that it all sinks in. Love it. Love it. Gosh, this has been amazing. I wish we could sit and talk for another couple of hours, but our listeners would want you back again, so we keep that as an opportunity to get you back. Tell us how people can find you and how they can engage and take some of your awesomeness for themselves. Oh, my goodness. Well, anyone who's on Facebook, please like me on Facebook, Strong Coffee Personal Training. Again, coffee is spelled C-O-F-F-E-Y. And then my website and my blog are at strongcoffee.com. And if you go to my blog, strongcoffee.com, you'll see that I have very frequent workshops. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm running a workshop right now called uh, Why We Sabotage Ourselves with Food and What We Can Do About It. And it's a free online workshop and everyone is invited. And I hope to see all of your listeners there because I've got some great insight to share. Okay, you guys, we have the links in the show notes. So just go click, sign up, um, 
workshops are a few times a, a week, so hopefully you find a time that works really well for you. You will love it. And um, I can't encourage you enough to engage with Kelly in any way that you can. Put her in your bookmarks, put her in your favorites, put her in your Evernote. Um, just whatever ways you use to not forget what's important. Put her on a fridge magnet. Just remember, remember her and engage with her, um, whether now or in a later time that you feel is, is appropriate. But the time is now. Um, it's, it's now that you get to take care of yourself in the most loving way possible. Can't wait another day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friend. It's been fantastic having you on. I feel energized. I'm going to have an awesome day just because I talked to you. Thanks, you guys. Thank me you so too. much for asking me to be on. Yeah. It was great having you. Was, I think we're going to have you on again. Woo-hoo. Yeah, there's so many more things I want to ask you. So many more things I want to ask you. Awesome. Thank you. All right, thank you. One last reminder that you can pre-order our book now at eatwellmovewell.com slash eatmovelive. That's eatwellmovewell.com slash eatmovelive. You're going to get free shipping in the United States and in most international countries. You're going to get of uh, the first four, the most powerful four chapters, and you're going to get a coupon for access to our online course absolutely free. So go out to eatwellmovewell.com slash eatmovelive for all the information that you need to pre-order the book today.